Hi, listeners. Welcome back to the Bonehead Podcast. I am Jody Beta. And I am Patrick Neon. Welcome back to another episode of our conversation series. Today, we have something very exciting and hopefully beneficial for a lot of our medical student audience. In this episode, we are interviewing two stellar medical students who are currently on their orthopedic surgery research years between their third and fourth years of medical school. We are joined by a friend of the show, Ms. Olivia Tracy, a fellow Downstate student and mentor of ours, who is currently a Leon Root Research Fellow in the Department of Pediatric Orthopedics at the Hospital for Special Surgery. Also, shout out to Patrick. I'm proud to say that he will be following in Olivia's footsteps and joining the team over at HSS this summer. We also have an outstanding Mr. Perry Lim joining us today. Perry is a student at Chicago Medical School of Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine and Science. Perry was a dominant force in professional basketball in his home country of Malaysia. I had the pleasure of meeting him on the interview trail and am fortunate to have received his advice throughout that process. Perry is currently an exceptional research fellow with Dr. Hani Bader and Dr. Christopher Melnick at the Mass Gen Hospital and Harvard Medical School Department of Arthroplasty. These two mentors have been instrumental to our personal journeys with navigating the researcher application process, and the inspiration behind organizing this episode stemmed from us wanting to share their salient advice with you, our listeners, with the hope that it could help those currently applying to researcher positions or considering them in the future. Thank you for joining us, Olivia and Perry. So the first theme we'd like to touch on is the decision itself. We'd like to explore what influenced you to consider taking this research year in the first place. Olivia, you want to start? You want me to start? It's up to you. You can start. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Um, so for me, um, I think the biggest thing and biggest advice I'll give to anyone, the, the reason why you want to take a research year is definitely for the mentorship. Um, I think I think it's a given that, you know, during a research year, you'll add to your resume, your CV in terms of research, um, you know, your research background, your skills and so forth. But I think the most instrumental thing um, about a researcher is the people that you meet, the people that you get connections with and the people you'll connect with down the line. Um, and as I'm sure that me and Olivia will kind of tell you guys, but orthopedics is a very, very niche field. It's a small amount of people in that field. And um, the more people that are in your corner in terms of vouching for you, um, I think that's the best thing that can happen. So for me, honestly, the mentorship um, is the biggest thing for me why I decided to take a research year. Yeah, I would definitely agree. The mentorship is super important, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that in detail later. Um, for me personally, I wanted more exposure to what orthopedic research really looked like. Um, I, throughout like college and throughout medical school, I had never worked on a randomized trial or a prospective study or like a large retrospective cohort at one single institution or multi-center study. And before applying to different residency programs, some of which prioritize research more than others, I wanted to know if I would like doing the research first. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm like very happy to say that I've loved doing the research, but I, I wouldn't have known that without the research here. So that was kind of my impetus for looking into them. So Perry, you actually touched on this a little bit, but... A research year is commonly thought to raise the strength and competitiveness of an applicant. What do you think about it accomplishes that? So the biggest thing for competitive as applicant is one, you're boosting your CV, right? And I think Olivia also alluded to this is that a lot of residencies and a lot of programs um, are very academically based and, you know, having that research skills, whether that's learning how to um, do retrospective trials, how to enroll patients, how to do stats, how to write a paper, um, those are all skills that can definitely help you from a research year um, moving on into residency as a resident. And on top of that, I think something I alluded to before is the mentorship, right? So 
I think for me, when I was, you know, M3 trying to figure out, all right, where do I want to go? You know, I only have connections in the Midwest or I only have connections in this area. Mm -hmm. um, doing a research here in a different area can also expand those connections. So um, I think doing a research here in the Northeast right now in the Boston area has allowed me to, you know, get connections and do multi-center studies and in other institutions in the Northeast. Um, so now I'm happy to say, like, I think I have, you know, more networking with the Northeast now, um, somewhere, you know, maybe not in the Midwest originally. So. Um, I think that's, those are two biggest things for me. I think that really strengthen your um, case as an applicant for orthopedics. Great, thank you. I would definitely agree. Um, only other thing that I'll add is just that it's it's no surprise that in the residency process now, we're moving further and further away from objective measures. So step one is now pass-fail. There's, I've heard whisperings of step two maybe becoming pass-fail in the future. There are some schools that don't have clerkship or clinical grades. Um, so having research publications is like one of the few objective measures that is still kind of sticking around. And uh, particularly for an applicant who's interested in orthopedics, but maybe hasn't had the exposure to research or the opportunity to do research while in medical school, the research here is really helpful for that. Right. And going off that, like a lot of people look at the average number of publications when trying to make a decision on research here. Do, that think, do you think that's an appropriate benchmark to consider or versus like the certain nuances of a research year of like, you know, the quality of journal that the, the publications usually go on to or, you know, should other factors be taken into account? I love you guys. I'll, I'll follow you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, I think it depends on the structure of the year. So to my knowledge, most of the positions that are available across the country are more clinical research based. But like for those individuals who are working in a basic science or doing translational research, it's harder to get publications done in just one year. So the actual number may be different for those individuals. Um, I think it's important to be at a program that has a history of being productive or in a program in which you know as an individual you can be productive. I don't think there's a certain number or like an upper limit of like what the publications should be. Um, but it's a it's a fair marker to see how people have done it in the past, I would say. I think that's a great point. I think the only thing I will add is that if you don't have over 100 publications, don't even consider applying orthopedics. No, I'm just um, mm -hmm. But uh, I think the biggest thing that I think Olivia really did um, emphasize is that, yes, it's not really about the number. All right. So, I mean, I will say that if you go into research here and you pump out two publications while you're there, maybe not the best, right? But at the same time, like you said, there's different types of research. Some research is more um, productive than others, right? So I was like specifically in arthroplasty, I think the amount of patients that we have compared to, let's say someone's mm -hmm. spine, um, completely different. This is a lot, you know, potentially a lot easier to publish in joints compared to something else that has less, you know, less patients or uh, less type of research that's pertinent to it. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I think you should be productive during a research year because it's definitely red flag if you're not. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, that's probably the last thing I would say. All right. So uh, Perry, this might be more relevant to you since you spoke about, you know, moving from the Midwest to the Northeast uh, for your research year. But you know, we understand that some positions require relocation from where you go to medical school. What other logistical factors do you think are important to consider? And Olivia, I know while while you're staying in New York, I'm, I'm sure you know um, fellow students who are doing research years elsewhere. So would love to hear your thoughts on this as well. Um, I think the biggest thing that's, you know, definitely a big measure to also like ask if you're pursuing a research here is, is for compensation. Um, I know it's oftentimes like an elephant in the room when you're like on an interview trail and you're like, hey, you know, we love the position, I love the research, I love the mentorship, I love everything about this place. Um, and the very end, like, hey, by the way, is this position compensated or not? And it's such an awkward question and it definitely is. 
but at the same time, I think that's something you definitely shouldn't, um, you know, not forget. Um, cause you know, relocating oftentimes is a, you know, a big deal. Uh, and on top of that, you know, we're medical students, right? I mean, I know some people are on the full rides, but like, there's a lot of medical students right now that, you know, have thousands, a hundred thousand dollars of debt. Um, so make sure to advocate for yourself. Um, because you know, some positions, I think when I was on the research, um, in your guys' shoes, I don't know how it was for you, Olivia, but honestly, I think the majority of the places offer just did not offer any compensation or if they did, it was very, very minimal. Um, I won't list places. I remember some places, you know, listing like, all right, we'll pay you $600 a month or some places were like, Hey, you know, I think the, the experience that you'll gather here after a year, honestly, is worth more than any, any amount of money. And I remember like, just like being in awe that like us as medical students, you know, not being able to be paid at all. Um, you know, I think, hey, yeah, de definitely compensation is number one. Um, and I think another thing to definitely consider logistics wise is, you know, is this something that, um, you relocating is that something you want to do you know i don't know how it is for you olivia as well but you know sometimes the journey can be very very lonely for people that you know mm -hmm. if you're a secluded research lab you have no other medical students it's just you and then potentially one or two pis um but honestly for me i think it's been i think it's a great experience for anyone and i 100 would recommend a research fellowship because it's a year to take off to decompress um but also to center yourself and you kind of make sure that this is something that you still want to do going down the line mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Compensation is definitely important. I will say that I, I think a lot of medical schools have internal funding that can be used for research years. I know Downstate has like a year-long research fellowship that you can apply to through our alumni association. And I think some of the larger organizations have scholarships you can apply to as well, like RJOS, for example. So that's something to consider too, if you find a position that you love that is unpaid, but you do need some like financial help for the year. Uh, the other logistics thing that I really thought about with my research year was like the actual structure of the year itself. Like, would I be working by myself or would I be working with other medical students? Were there other RAs who were doing gap years in between college and medical school, for example? Would I be working with multiple attendings versus just one? Would I be working with residents and fellows as well or just attendings? All of these are factors to consider if you're deciding between multiple offers, just in terms of like the support that you would have in the research team. Going back to relocation, you know, is there a common understanding whether relocating for your research year can kind of indicate like a willingness to relocate for residency itself or on the flip side, you know, not relocating for your research year would, would that, you know, I guess not be indicative of a willingness to relocate for residency? It's an interesting question. I don't know, honestly. <laughs> I was really about to say the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's really a huge indicator. I guess like if you do move like Perry, you did, you're you're meeting people at a different institution. They know that you're interested in that institution now and that I think is helpful. Um, I don't I don't think it necessarily means though that if you don't move or like if you do research at your home institution for a year, for example, that you're wedded to that institution only for residency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would 100% agree. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe Olivia's going to be on California next year. I guess I'm not going to New York anymore. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's a little, I, I honestly don't think it does matter, to be honest. I don't think it's really indicative, like, oh, I only want to stay in the Midwest or I only want to stay on the East side. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say, I think, honestly, I think it, it helps a lot to kind of branch out. Kind of was like talking about earlier, I think gathering connections in the West Coast or the Midwest or the Southeast or the Northeast um, would only boost and bolster your application. Um, like I said, orthopedics is a very, very small community and your PI went to residency somewhere and went to fellowship somewhere. And I guarantee you, they still talk to their co-residents or their co-fellows and so forth. So, um, 
going to a different institution, I think there are definitely some pros and there's definitely some cons. And I'm sure um, Olivia can tell you that being in New York and staying in New York and also logistically side, you know, probably saves a lot of money. And it's, it's really nice to kind of, you know, gather more on those connections that you already have. And now moving on to more specific details about the research here. We were interested in what characteristics you were looking for in your ideal position, and mainly when you were originally looking for researcher positions before you got like your current position, what kind of those characteristics were you looking for? I can start on this one. Um, so, so answer the first question, what do we look for in our current applicants? Um, number one, I would say is a person that has a, sounds very cliche, but a person has a good reason to take orthopedic research year. Um, I think one question I'll always ask our applicants are like, all right, why do you want to take an orthopedic research year? Um, and I think that's a very, very big question in terms of, or it's very indicative of, you know, what's the applicant's true intentions. Um, some people, you know, already have, you know, 40 plus publications and you're like, why are you taking a research year? Um, but so I think, yeah, being able to answer why do you want to take a research year um, in a very concise manner is one of the big factors for me, honestly. Um, another thing is um, how competitive they are in terms of do they have any research background um, we don't definitely don't shy or we definitely don't you know push away any applicants that don't haven't done any research um, but having I think a basic line or basic knowledge of what research entails um, is I think a good baseline for any research fellowship um, I think a lot of the research fellowships today will tell you that yes we're here to help a lot of um, students kind of get to the next level but I think I think a majority of research fellowships now are like hey we want you to have like a nice you know, understanding research, and we were going to try to bolster up into like another kind, another type, another tier, essentially. Um, right. So having a nice baseline um, of research. Um, another thing is just you know willingness to be you know adaptive. You know, research here is there's a lot of things that go on. Whether that's you know um, journals being rejected and a lot of you know adversity. So someone who you know knows how to kind of overcome those challenges. Um, and has shown that they've done that in the past. I think it's very indicative of, of having a successful research year because uh, everyone wants to match, right? You know, there are PIs, you know, I'm sure you know, like a lot of PIs today are super, super advocates, um, advocates for, you know, making sure that their mentees match somewhere. And that's kind of the whole goal of taking a research year. So you want to make sure that you're well prepared. Um, and I think that's very indicative of whether it be competitive. Yeah, I would agree. I can, I would agree with all of Perry's points. Um, I can speak to kind of like the other side of things when I was looking at different years, what I was looking for. Um, we touched on this before, but like the mentorship is super important. I personally was really hoping to work with female mentors as well. Um, and I've been very fortunate to have three female attendings that I've worked with pretty closely who are all absolute powerhouses in the field and like really, really wonderful individuals. Um, I also, my current position is I think a really nice setup because I work with one other medical student and then there's also some pre-meds that we work with as well. Um, and so there's just inherently more support to do the research projects because there are just more people to collaborate with and that I found to be really valuable. Thank you both. So, you know, asking a little bit more about the specifics of your current position, what stood out to you about it and, you know, what made you sort of decide to accept it over other positions? That is the million dollar question. <laughs> um, I think for me, like, I'm going to keep reiter reiterating this because um, I cannot emphasize how important it is. Um, honestly, I've heard stories. I know people personally that had had not have had successful research years um, just just from like the mentorship side. And honestly, that's just really it pains me to hear that because, you know, you're taking a full year to kind of devote yourself to research. Right. Um, and whether that's 
developing that connection, developing that kind of um, relationship with your mentee or your mentor, um, that is honestly the most important thing you should get out of a research year, right? So I think a lot of medical students today are absolutely unbelievable. I've you know, M1s, M2s, like I know that there's a lot of people, a lot of listeners right now that are, you guys are all driven, right? So I don't think wherever you go, um, and that, uh, you're not going to have any trouble publishing, right? But the most important thing when I was looking for my research fellowship was like, all right, what kind of relationship can I build on? And that's really, really hard to kind of figure out when you're just, you know, through Zoom call, like, hey, Patrick, you know, um, I hear you're a great PI. Um, what can you do for me? Right. That's, that's, it's really hard to kind of figure that out. Right. So my biggest advice to anyone is, you know, ask the current fellows, like ask me, ask Olivia, like, mm -hmm. Hey, how is your mentorship relationship right now? Do you feel like when you're done with the research here, do you, do you think they can vouch for you? And even more to that, you can ask the previous fellows, you know, I think if, if any PI really says that they're a really good mentor, um, I think they'll be able to put you in contact with their previous um, fellows because if they're still, you know, constantly talking to the previous fellows, I think that shows that that mentor kind of relationship, you know, surpasses just your year there, but even when you're a resident, maybe even a fellow, right? So asking those previous fellows who have, you know, ideally matched or, have, you know, finished their um, year there, I think that was really indicative of whether or not um, those mentors are the right fit for you. Yeah, I would completely agree. I think in any of these research year positions, you're going to learn a lot, like with whatever subfield of orthopedics you're doing the research in, like you'll learn more about that side of orthopedics and also like how to do good research um, and like what you can contribute to the field in the future. But the mentorship, I think, is really a unique aspect. Right. And, you know, we certainly touched upon it a lot with uh, mentorship. Um, and for me, mentorship was definitely the most important component that I was looking for in my future position. And there were actually two recent articles in the Journal of uh, Bone and Joint Surgery that highlighted the mentor-mentee relationship and the fact that it should be a two-way street <clears throat> where faculty member mentors have a responsibility to hold up their part of the deal with support and advice just as much as the fellow does to maximize research productivity. Um, Olivia, we were interested, you know, your thoughts of like, how does one go about finding a good fit with their mentor and how did you personally navigate it? It's a good question. Um, I'm very fortunate in my position to work with multiple different people um, as opposed to just one PI, which I've really come to value because I feel like I, I've learned so much from each of them in different ways. I, I agree mentorship is a two-way street. And as much as the PI has a responsibility to their medical student, their medical student also has a responsibility to the PI to reach out and show up and be upfront about what you're looking for and what you need. Um, I would say that anyone who is leading a research year position wants to work with medical students. They're doing this for a reason, not because they have to. Um, so inherently, they're already more inclined mm -hmm. to work with you and help mentor you. Um, and I, I think at the end of the day, the onus is really on the student to kind of take advantage of that and show up and show interest. One thing I will add to that, um, and I, I think every point that Olivia has mentioned so far is extremely important, right? So Honestly, yes, it's it's a two-way street. Um, that, that's a given. Um, but like Olivia said, I think the mentor, like you as a mentee, I think it's really, really important for you to kind of push that relationship forward. Um, and obviously, it's easier said than done, right? You know, they're, you'll notice a lot of your PIs are very, very busy people. You know, they have families. They have their own cases. You know, some of them are very, very high volume surgeons. Some of them have, are very inclined in research or some of them are even fellowship directors or some of them, they have a lot of obligations, right? So, as you as a mentee, obviously, you're, you're trying to make time for your mentor just as much as they're make trying to make time for you. Um, so whether that's, you know, if you're going to be going to a virtual position for a whole year, 
I honestly would not recommend that because I think it's really, really hard to kind of build on the relationship if you're virtual the whole entire year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some places are hybrid, some places are all in person. I, I 100% uh, recommend going all in person. Um, and yes, sometimes that might include, you know, sitting at a desk and so forth, but, you know, your PIs are in clinic often probably one once or twice a week. So if you're, you know, in the area, definitely, I would say, you know, join clinic. That's one way to really kind of have that FaceTime with your PIs or being the OR, you know, shadowing, or if you can scrub in, great. You know, those are all times for you to kind of build on that relationship, uh, which Olivia, I think, has said perfectly. It's the most important thing you can get out of a researcher. Yeah, like what what certain things can you do as a research fellow to kind of put your best foot forward? Um, you know, we all know that these surgeons are extremely busy people. So like what kind of, you know, tangible things can you um, can you do to, to achieve, you know, that that mentorship? I think like first and foremost, like showing up and showing interest. Um, it's, I feel like something we talk about in clinical rotations is as a medical student, you try to anticipate the needs of the team or anticipate the needs of the residents and the attendings you're working with before they ask you to. I, I think the same is kind of true of the research fellow. It's a little harder to do that in the beginning while you're still getting your footing. But if there's a project that you know a PI is working on or a topic that you're interested in, like tell them that you're interested, do read about it, find another study and go to them and say, Hey, have you read this article? What do you think? Can we build off of this? Anything I think that demonstrates that you care is going to make them more inclined to work with you and want to work with you in the future. And another thing I'll add to that is um, being able to create your own ideas, I think also shows your kind of um, your drive to also pursue um, the researcher and also kind of get more involved. Obviously, this is like you said, you know, it's a lot harder in the beginning when you're getting your feet wet and trying to get your like, all right, what is an IRB? Or like, what do I have to do to get this research thing off the ground, right? So at the very beginning, I don't recommend this, but like, I think me and Olivia, I think can confidently now, I don't know when you started, but like, I, we're probably, you know, a little over our halfway through right now. Um, and, you know, as a researcher, as a, you know, a person that's doing research here, you'll notice that you'll start to find, you know, gaps in literature, right? You've probably written and read, written and read a lot, you know, about the current academic landscape and you'll realize hey, maybe this hasn't been written on or that has been written on um so when you pitch these new ideas to your pis i guarantee you they'll, they'll be impressed they'll be like all right wow like jody i didn't know like you're you you were built different like this i didn't know you're thinking <laughs> such so you know those are all things that can really push yourself into that kind of like good relationship terms with your pis like you know if you're innovative you're thinking of new things always right so being on the floor, like being in front of the eight ball, I think it's a huge thing in terms of making sure that you have a good relationship and you're making sure, capitalizing on your relationship as well. For sure. And funny that you mentioned IRBs, uh, Perry, I still remember my days of, you know, doing continuing reviews and amendments during my uh, gap year before medical school. But, you know, going more into the nitty gritty of your research years, uh, we understand that you're in sort of two different uh, structures at your respective positions. So would you mind explaining a little bit of what the day-to-day looks like for you guys? Yeah, I can start. Um, so as I sort of said, I, I work with multiple different PIs. There are nine attendings in our department and they all do research to differing degrees. So my my we have, for the ones that are more involved in research, we have weekly research meetings. So for example, every Monday at 1 p.m., every Tuesday at 7.30 a.m., things like that. So depending on the day of the week, there's typically at least one structured research meeting that happens. Um, the rest of my time is kind of split up with individual meetings. A lot of those projects that I've been working on have been more retrospective in nature. So I'll do like data collection, data analysis, stats, writing a manuscript, literature review, 
It's kind of like the bread and butter of my week. Um, but I've also been able to help with some prospective trials. So depending on the day and what patients are coming in, I'll spend a couple of hours in clinic um, enrolling patients for those studies. Uh, we also get to go to resident conference, which is really fun. The residents present once a week, Thursday mornings about pre and post-op cases for the week. And we go and listen. And for me, it's a really great learning opportunity. And I'm, I've been very grateful to be able to take advantage of that. Um, yeah, it's basically my day-to-day. Olivia, -day. I'm so glad you mentioned the, the conference thing, because I think that's also one big thing that it's anywhere so you go, it is, it's honestly so fun. Honestly, the first couple of weeks, right over my head. Still right now, <laughs> right over my head. But I, I think that's a big thing you should definitely, I think that's another way to kind of also bolster your, um, your relationship is like, if you're eager to go to conferences, like, hey, you know, one of the residents giving conference or one is grand rounds, um, you know, depending on what kind of institution you go to, oftentimes there will be grand rounds, there will be, you know, um, indications conference, or there will be cases conference and so forth, right? So for me specifically, we have um, our kind of cases conference and indications conference are Monday, Tuesday mornings. Um, and oftentimes that's just all the fellows and the whoever residents on, you know, the joint service, you know, those are great um, kind of meetings to join and attend. Um, I think in terms of just getting a gist of like, all right, what does joints entail? And what is, what is a resident at, at that level? You know, what are they trying to learn about? Um, outside of that, like kind of like my, I would say week, the weekday um, basis is I, so I'm only with two PIs. Um, I don't have nine PIs. That is insane. That you're <laughs> crazy. Um, and at me and Olivia will get into a nice little debate on, you know, having one medical student, two medical students, one PI, several PIs. I'm sure we can, you know, really talk about that for a long time, but um, so for me, I have a weekly research meeting with my two PIs on Wednesday nights, um, which I think uh, me and Olivia will tell you that I think that's one of the most important meetings you have every week to really make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, you can update them on your progress on manuscripts or ideas and so forth. Um, and then the rest of the time, I probably say maybe 80% of the time is just kind of you know doing retrospective studies, whether that's writing, data analysis, um, IRBs and so forth. Um, and the other 20% for me is, you know, in clinic enrolling patients for prospective trials or, you know, being the OR doing studies, you know, depending on what kind of, you know, studies you have available. So that's kind of my breakdown. Yeah. I will say like listening to the both of you talk makes me and Joydee really excited for our research years. And, you know, congratulations to Joydee for joining Rothman uh, Spine Group uh, this upcoming year. Um, kind of going off of that, you know, like, um, we we touched upon these conferences, but what other opportunities have you gotten that have been a surprise to you or have you really enjoyed that you didn't really envision being a part of your experience to begin with? That's a, good, that's a great question. You sort of alluded to it, um, Perry, already, but like shadowing in the OR and the clinic, I, I didn't really like think about that a lot before the research year. You know, I was going into it to like do the research and I knew that the position was going to be more research heavy. Um, but this past, like the past couple of weeks, past couple of months, I've been able to shadow more and that's been really fun. I've like missed being in the OR and the clinic and seeing patients in a more clinical setting instead of a research setting. So that's been really nice. Um, I've also gotten to work with a lot of the residents pretty closely. Um, most of, mostly the ones who are interested in doing PEDS for fellowship or have done PEDS research in the past, but I, I didn't necessarily anticipate that coming in. And that's been really nice too, just to meet people who are in different parts of their training, mm -hmm. see how they think about research, what ideas they have. It's been really nice. Very cool. Uh, I honestly, that really good summer. Um, the only thing I would add for me potentially was you know, I think that a lot of times they'll have um, visiting professors from other institutions kind of give talks every once in a while. Um, so like recently we had, you know, someone from HSS give a talk, we had someone from Duke give a talk, we had someone from um, Stanford give a talk. So those are times to really kind of also network, right? So 
I think orthopedics, like I keep mentioning, super niche, super small. Everyone knows everyone, right? Like, especially in joints, like joints world, super, super small. Peds world is very, very small. So like if your peds attending is, you know, like very well known within the academic world. And let's say you want to go to Stanford and let's say her or his co-fellow um, went there, you know, that's obviously a, a great connection for you to have, right? So being able to expose yourself in a good way. Um, to network is honestly probably the best part, um, whether that's with residents. Like if let's say, you know, Patrick, you want to go to HSS and you're exposing yourself to all those residents. Right. Um, and like, let's say you go, you rotate there eventually. You're like, Hey, you know, I've already spent a year here. I'm already familiar with kind of the system of HSS. I'm familiar with all the, re I'm familiar with like a lot of the residents already. And like, you're doing away rotation. They're probably gonna love you. Right. So those are all things that you can really build on um, at, during your research year. Right. It's, it's the networking, it's the research and all that. But on top of that, you're really kind of setting yourself up to be a great applicant at that institution or at different institutions as well. So something to always think about. All right, we kind of touched upon it and Perry, you were really prepared and heated to debate Olivia on this. What would you say is the ideal balance of PIs versus number of uh, research fellows? What are the pros, of con pros and cons of many versus few PIs versus many and few fellows? Absolutely, I think this is, this is honestly a great question because um, I know when I was in your guys' shoes um, or a little bit before you guys was in your shoes, um, this was just like really big thing that I was, you know, having trouble, having trouble, you know, choosing between. Um, obviously, so my current position is one research, um, one research fellow. I have two PIs. I think it's a great combination. And I think there's a lot of people that have also had a lot of success. So just having that kind of a one to one ratio or one to two ratio. Um, but I also have heard a lot of people that have had, you know, more medical students um, on their team and also been extremely successful. So not going to try to say that, you know, there's one that's better than the other, but things to definitely think about, you know, if you're just the sole kind of medical student with your PIs, I would say majority of my papers right now are all first author, right? So that's one thing that's a one plus that you definitely, you know, have to think about. Um, the other caveat is that if you have a lot of medical students, you know, oftentimes a lot of products are, you know, we have one or two or two to three medical students kind of spearheading it, potentially you have a lot more publications, right? Um, and the one thing that I told myself, like, all right, you know, choosing between those two, I think for any research that you do, right? Um, I think there's a kind of a, a bare minimum that you kind of have to hit before, like if you go below that, I think it's kind of a red flag that you weren't productive or you weren't able to kind of get anything done. Um, I don't know what that number is to be completely honest. I would probably guess maybe around, 10, five to 10. I think, um, I think that's a good, the minimum that you should definitely hit. I think minimum is definitely five. I'll just put it out. There. I think five is the minimum you should definitely hit um, for a researcher, if not more. Um, but another thing, you know, that residencies definitely look at is, you know, how many first author publications do you have, right? Because um, I think that also shows a lot of things, right? So if you're like the seventh author on 10 publications versus someone who's maybe the first author on four publications, I think there's a different, you know, kind of a big discrepancy there. Right. So person that's the first author, majority of the writing is probably done by you. Um, oftentimes, if it's just you and your PIs, you're, you're probably the person that, you know, did the IRB all the way until, you know, manuscript submission to revisions and so forth. Right. So I think that shows a lot uh, of kind of resolve compared to someone who maybe just got tacked on their name. Right. Um, so I think that's one big pro for having one person. Um, there's a lot more, but I'll, live, I'll let Olivia speak on her side. No, I think that's super fair. Um, ultimately, I, th I think it like also depends on the medical student person themselves. If you are someone who 
prefers smaller work environments, that's a good thing to know about yourself before going into these years. Versus if you really like to work in a team and you really want to collaborate with other people. Um, so my position, it's me and one other medical student. And I've, I've really loved working with her. She and I have become good friends outside of work too, which has helped, but we're definitely have been able to be more productive together. I think because kind of like Perry, what you were alluding to, we're able to share a bunch of projects or like, I'll take the lead on some projects. She'll take the lead on some projects, but collaborating together has really helped us both. Um, there's also multiple PIs that we work with. And so between the two of us, I think we're able to really support all of their research ideas. Mm. Whereas if there was only one person in my position, like for me personally, I think it would be harder to balance what all of the different PIs want out of their research. So it's been helpful to have another individual to work with. And, you know, now that we've spoken a little bit about research here specifically and, and kind of what we were looking for, we want to, you know, talk a little bit about what makes a good research fellow. And, you know, there's obviously certain characteristics, those can be soft skills, or even like hard and technical skills. So what do you guys think should be are some of those essential attributes that, you know, candidates can maybe work on before they start or even work on developing during the research year? I'm gonna give a huge shout to anyone that does stats. Um, I think that is, uh, I can't even emphasize. I think, you know, I think a lot of places, big institutions will have their own in-house statisticians, which is mm -hmm. great. You know, don't get me wrong. Uh, but oftentimes there's surely only one or two maximum for a whole orthopedic department. Um, as a result, if you're relying on them for stats, it's a very limiting factor to how productive you can be. Um, so for us personally at our, um, at our research fellowship here at, in Boston, we definitely have kind of a like a, like a plus um, for applicants that can do stats because um, it just streams streamlines everything, right? So imagine you can crank your own stats within a day as opposed to waiting, you know, three to four weeks for a statistician to get back to you, right? So that just pushes everything, you know, right to the finish line and kind of puts it across. Um, I remember the previous fellow, she telling me like, hey, you know, you should definitely look into R or Stata or whatever, you know, coding language you want to use. Um, I think those are extremely helpful, both for in a research fellowship, but also in residency. Um, I think you'll realize that, you know, the residents who can do stats oftentimes get involved in a lot of, you know, research because everyone needs a stats person, right? You know, and think you realize any research publication you put out there probably should have some types of, you know, statistical aspect to it. So, you know, being able to be like a jack of all trades allows you to be an amazing resident um, and also extremely productive. Um, so I think one thing I would definitely say is stats for sure. Um, you can definitely prepare a little bit, um, but at the same time, I think once you get into the thick of it, you're like, all right, I need to run a T-test or a chi-square or Wilcoxon rank test or non-parametric test, like you'll, you'll start to get used to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Um, I did not have a strong stats background before the research year, I'm not going to lie, but I, I do feel like I was able to learn a good bit of stats throughout the job, but it, it would have been helpful if I had known how to use R beforehand for sure. Um, the like hard skill that I'll talk about a little bit is manuscript writing. If you know how to write scientifically, it is extremely helpful. And if you can write relatively quickly, um, it just, it really helps in moving projects along. It, that can be something that is hard to learn before doing the research year. But I think the more you read, the easier it becomes to learn how to write scientifically. Like taking out extraneous words, having concise sentences. It's just a, it's a very different style of writing than maybe like English writing or writing that we had exposed, we were exposed to like in college or in other careers. So that's definitely something that I would encourage people to work on, but it's also something that comes with experience. Yeah. And then what are some soft skills that are important? 
And if you can come in with like a bunch of energy ready to go, <laughs> honestly, that, that for me is like awesome. I think that, I think for any, I think that, I mean, Patrick, you enjoy deep. And I think, you know, Olivia, obviously, uh, and you guys have like coming into this podcast, being able to connect with your viewers and just having that, you know, being their presidents ready to go. Um, that honestly puts a lot in, in terms of when, I, when I'm interviewing people, that's like one of the first things that I definitely look at. Um, I don't know if you would really consider a soft skill, but for me, I think that's the soft skill that a lot of people definitely, you know, overlook, right? Because, you know, these PIs want to work with you and you're just like stone, stone cold fish. <laughs> like, yeah, I got like, hundred publications to do my own stats compared to someone who's like, all right, I've done five publications, but I'm super excited, ready to be here, ready to kind of get the ball rolling. I think that speaks a lot to you um, as a future position and also as a successful applicant. Um, so for me, it sounds really cliche, but like being able to be there, show up, smile, like have positive energy. Cause you know, you're oftentimes you're going to work in a team in a research year. And also like when you're attending, when you're resident, like being able to work in a team. And if you can provide this, positive enthusiasm and just like kind of electric kind of attitude I think it really just makes your makes everyone's lives easier yeah I would agree I mean like the people who are taking the orthopedic research years already know that orthopedics is kind of what they want to do or they're 80 percent sure that orthopedics is what they want to do so you're taking a year of time to only focus on the thing that you're going to spend the rest of your career doing and like, to me, that's inherently super exciting. So like, why wouldn't you be excited to come to work? Every day? <laughs> um, the other soft skill that I'll, I'll th speak about a little bit is kind of like finding your niche. So regardless of the setup of your position, you're going to be in some sort of team, even if the team is just like just you and just one PI, it's still a team. So figuring out the spots in which you can step in and leverage your own skill set to be useful, I think is a really important soft skill. And that does, of course, come with time and figuring out like what your co-fellows are good at, what your PIs are looking for, the things that you can provide may take a little bit of getting your feet wet, but being able to kind of get yourself in there with your skill set, figure out what you can contribute in a positive way, I think is really useful. Great. So we've spoken a lot about sort of what, you know, are expected of research fellows and what is beneficial but you know, you both touched on this a little bit as well. What are some pitfalls that fellows should try to avoid in their research year? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Olivia, you want to start or you want me to start? I have like a big <laughs> idea of what I want to talk about. Ish. Yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs> um, okay, pitfalls. So um this is a very, very objective data point, but asking how the current, the previous fellows have done, all right? So I think going to a program that, let's say they've had five fellows or five previous research fellows and none of them have matched, right? Just from a very objective data point, I think that shows something about a program, right? Um, and obviously like, I, it's not like a, a kick to any of the PIs or anything like that, but I think just from a very like a logistical standpoint, when it comes to the bottom line, you're doing a research year to match, right? orthopedics is competitive um so imagine trying to take a whole researcher off to like olivia said focus solely on research on something you want to pursue not being able to match at the end of the year is heartbreaking for anyone right so i think that's one thing you definitely have to ask um on your interview trail how have previous applicants done um that's definitely one big pitfall um and then along with that maybe asking like all right why do they maybe not match right so is it just the lack of publications? Is it the lack of, you know, advocacy from your mentors? Is it just the applicant themselves? Um, those are all things you have to consider, right? So 
I think me and Olivia have definitely, you know, beat the dead horse at this point about mentorship, but <laughs> not being a great mentor for a year, honestly, is probably, it could hurt your application 100%. Um, like imagine you do, you're doing a research year after a full year and like you're getting a letter of recommendation for your PI and it isn't stellar. And, you know, you submit ERAS, residency and so forth. And you're like, all right, this, and I'm reading your letter of recommendation as a, let's say, residence uh, program director, or like, this person spent a full year with, you know, whoever, and this isn't, this isn't like, you know, like amazing, right? So th those are all things that can definitely hit, um, hurt you. Um, and in terms of the pitfall aspect of it, it's like I said, it's really, really hard to kind of figure that out. But if you ask previous research fellows, I think they're going to be a great resource um, in terms of kind of figuring out what kind of pitfalls potentially could happen at that research fellowship. Yeah, I would agree. Um, kind of like a, a positive trait of a good research fellow also is you need to be really organized. I think it can be easy to get overwhelmed by all of the different projects that are happening when you're a research fellow and where they are in the different stages of development, whether that's patient enrollment, IRB stage, writing up a manuscript. Um, if you're not organized, you, you can easily forget to push different projects along. Um, so I like that's a pitfall that some people can fall into is just keeping track of everything, whether that's a massive spreadsheet that you update every day or a very long checklist, um, anything you can do to keep yourself on top of your work that other people are depending you to push forward is really important. And then are there any additional scenarios where taking a research year can be more harmful than not having taken it at all? I don't know. The other scenario that comes to mind is like, what if you take this research year and you realize you don't want to do orthopedics? And I, I don't even think that's harmful at the end of the day. You know, like you're you learn so much about how to conduct good research in these positions and having research skills can be applied to any field. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're the applicant who didn't have a lot of orthopedic exposure in medical school. You thought you were interested in pursuing it for residency. You go and take a research year and you realize halfway through that maybe it's not for you. I still think you can leverage your skill set and pivot towards whatever field you ultimately decide to go into, whether it's a surgical subspecialty or not. That is a great answer. I didn't even think about that. And that's also a great wholesome positive spin on that um because you know at the end of the day i think it's it's a crazy expectation for medical students to you know especially orthopedics come into their m1 year be like hey if you want to go into orthopedics like you have to start re doing research like yesterday right so i think you know doing a research year yeah i think that's a great positive spin um in terms of other kind of things that or, I don't know. I, I think honestly, the productivity is the biggest thing I will definitely mention. Like, you know, me and Olivia already talked about. Um, I, I think the pros of a researcher definitely outweigh the cons if you're driven, if you're productive. Um, because being able to connect with more mentors outside of your current institution exponentially increases your, I would say, your competitiveness, your, you know, your market value. Um, among other applicants, right? Um, you know, being from the Midwest and then all of a sudden being exposed to all these people from the Northeast has helped me tremendously. And I'm sure that even with Olivia, like going from New York and still staying in New York, and now you have all these great connections at HSS and HSS being the amazing institution is, I'm sure has, you know, plenty of connections, you know, even to the West Coast. Like let's say Olivia wants to go to California. Like I'm sure there's people that have, you know, rotated at California or, you know, had co-fellows or co-residents in California. So you know, those are all great things you definitely should think about. So now we'd like to move on to what might be the most um, important and helpful theme of this episode, which is advice. And considering you are both very 
uh, you know, accomplished and helpful people yourselves, we, we'd like to get your take on this um, very important part of research years. So, you know, we've talked a lot about research years in general and what makes them good and how to be good at them. But, you know, for our listeners who might not be as familiar with the process, what resources exist out there for finding a position to begin with? It's a great question. Um, OrthoGate, definitely huge plug for OrthoGate. Great website for medical students, residents, fellows. There's a lot of information on there, but they have a little sub page specifically for research year fellowships and different institutions will post them. I will say like not every institution posts on OrthoGate. And so hearing or talking to different fellows at different places is helpful like word of mouth, but also just going on to Google. I'm trying to look up orthopedic research year opportunities. Be surprised at how many pop up. Um, the other thing I will also add to that is MSOS, which is the Medical Student Orthopedic Symposium slash Society. Um, I think they are based out of George Washington um, University, I believe, uh, but huge plug to them. I think when I was, me and Olivia were both, I think M1s or M2s, they first started, uh, but the, I think they have been an amazing resource for just, you know, advocacy for orthopedics for you know, medical students. Um, navigating the research years they have, I think a huge list, a running list of all the research fellowships that are being offered every year, who to contact, um, who's the PI, where's the institution, so forth. So um, definitely a huge plug to them as well. Um, but yeah, I think also a quick Google search will also um, do you very nicely. I think MSOS tends to repost um, positions on Instagram. Also, I'm not a big Twitter person, so I can't speak to Twitter, but I have seen a bunch of like reposts on their Instagram stories. Um, so that's helpful too for anyone on social media. Yeah, definitely. one other thing I'll also add, sorry, um, is let's say, you know, and I, I know we talked about compensation earlier, but if you really, really want to go to an institution and let's say they don't have a research year lined up, right, or they don't have a kind of a, um, like a research year that's already had previous fellows and stuff, it never hurts to just contact the PI directly. Like, hey, you know, I'm very interested in doing research with you. I think XYZ um, is amazing in terms of what you guys do. It's very innovative and so forth. Um, you'll be surprised how many, you know, PIs um, are willing to help you, right? You know, I think just a quick email to say, hey, I want to do research with you, and whether that's, you know, part-time, virtually, and so forth, so you don't have to, let's say, relocate and so forth. Um, I think technology like Zoom right now or doing mm -hmm. virtual, you know, VPNs for like, you know, Epic's, uh, Epic software, like across the, across the world, you know, the world is your oyster. So if you reach out, there's endless um, possibilities yeah and moving on to a more logistical question you know at least for people taking researchers after their third year of medical school um, there's a lot of debate about when to take step two would you guys recommend it taking it before or during the year or even after the year although you can start that's all you girl <laughs> um I, I would recommend taking it before if you have the time i would say that coming out of clinical year your, the knowledge is so fresh in your brain. It, in my opinion, it's really helpful to just kind of sit and get through step two first before going on to orthopedics, because then you can spend your year really like fully focused on your orthopedic knowledge without having to remember the internal medicine and the psychiatry and all of the other things that are encompassed within step two. Um, that being said, not everyone's schedule will allow for it. So like you can take step two during your research year. I do think it's balancing, uh, it's challenging to balance your time though, when you're studying or trying to study full-time and also trying to do research full-time. So if, if you're in a position in which you have to take step two during the year or after the year, that's just like something to consider in advance. I will hundred percent tag onto that train because I can emphasize taking step two before my research year was probably the best decision I made. 
Um, I think I know some people that have taken it during the research years and it's honestly, I don't think it's fair to you or it's fair to the PI, right? You know, you're devoting a whole year of research and I think Olivia said earlier, she's like, it's a full-time job and dedicated to study for step two. It's also a full-time job to do your research. So trying to put 80 hours together doesn't really work, right? So um, definitely take it before. And then another quick shout out will also do just for quick step two advice. You know, step two obviously has become more and more important um, compared to step one now being pass fail. So definitely, definitely make sure to remember your internal medicine stuff. I think one thing that I didn't really realize before was like, all right, internal medicine is like 60 to 65% of your step two grade. Um, and I think internal medicine was like my second to last clerkship and remembering all that stuff for internal medicine helped me tremendously for step two. Um, so if you're doing internal medicine right now, take your notes, do your Anki, do your old questions. I know there's like crazy amount of questions for internal medicine, but doing the MUMEs and stuff that can only help you for your step two score. Absolutely. So, you know, moving more into sort of um, advice regarding the position itself, um, and now that you are both on the tail end of your respective positions, how do you envision sort of the connections, skills, and lessons you've gained over this past year shaping your upcoming residency application journey? You can start. I, can start. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing, you know, like I think Olivia's really talked about really well, is just those research skills, right? Like, regardless if you go in orthopedics or you do pursue, you do eventually pursue orthopedics, um, those research skills that you'll learn, whether that's hard skills, soft skills, uh, whether that's stats, learning to write, learning to read literature, learning to find the gaps in literature, um, all those things will be a tremendous help and a tremendous resource for you when you're a resident, right? Um, if you're not interested in pursuing academics, that's completely fine. Um, but for me personally, I do want to pursue academics within orthopedics later on in my life. And you know, with that, you know, having to publish in residency is a big factor in that. Um, so, you know, like I said before, if you do stats, you know, you'll be put onto a lot of projects without a doubt. You know, you'll be able to kind of um, be involved in a lot of different specialties and so forth. And also just, I think anyone who's finished a research year, you'll realize that they're you know, able to kind of look at research with a different lens. Mm -hmm. And you can use that lens when you're making your own ideas or pitching ideas to PIs at a new different institution, like, hey, I did research in this, but now I know that your research involves this, but I think this would be a great idea to kind of translate from my previous research in joints to now let's say spine or vice versa and so forth. So that research lens that you gain from a research year, um, it's a tremendous help during residency from what I've heard. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and then we've talked about the mentorship too. So working with people for a year who are then able to vouch for you and speak to, to what it's like to work with you one-on-one -on -one every day. Um, is tremendously helpful during the residency application process. Also, regardless of what institution you end up, end up at for a research year, you get to know that institution really well. Like you'll see the day-to-days of your PIs, the day-to-days of the residents, the fellows. Uh, and it's helpful too just to be on the inside of a program for a little bit and see kind of how it's structured and how it works as a resident. Yeah, I mean, going off of that, you know, you, as you touched on it, Olivia, you're, you're sort of you're getting to know an institution, getting to know the people there. And with how competitive orthopedics is becoming, there's this increased emphasis on the on advocacy and and sort of having your mentors, you know, helping you out through the process. So from your perspectives, you know, what do you think advocacy looks like as you apply to residency positions and specifically in the context of the fact that you've just finished a research year position? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's I think it's having people who are willing to vouch for you. Um, and sort of like we talked about before 
when you're in a mentor mentee relationship, there is a lot of responsibility on the medical student to demonstrate interest and advocate for yourself. Um, and once you do that, hopefully your, your PI or your mentor is someone who will pick up the phone for you, make calls to programs, especially the programs that you're particularly interested in and just really vouch for who you are as a person. You know, the residency programs will read your CV, they'll read your personal statement, they'll see a little bit, but having someone who knows you personally and has worked with you face-to-face -face for a year, it's so helpful when they pick up the phone and say like, hey, Perry's awesome. Like he's super fun to be around. He's really funny. He's a hard worker. You can tell how successful he is, but also he's got like great jokes and I love working with him. Like that really goes a long way. Like could not put it more perfectly. I think the bottom line is who's going to make a phone call for you, right? Like I cannot emphasize how small, like, like I my like one of my current PIs right now, like the amount of, you know, people he knows just from like, co-residents, co-fellows, like all over the States, right? Like being able to make a quick phone call or a quick text, be like, Hey, you know, uh, Dr. Tracy, like, Hey, you know, and then we were best buds back in the day, but like, <laughs> I think it's a great applicant. I think Patrick's going to also be like, like all that, like it's literally as easy as a phone call, honestly. And like we say that like kind of very casually right now, but like that, that phone call holds so much power when it comes to a ways, when it comes to interviews, when it comes to um, telling like, Hey, you know, this is ex applicants number one choice. He would love to go here. We go way back. You know, this is like, you know, he, you can vouch for him. You can speak to his abilities, both research, outside research as a person, you know, and so forth. So that, that honestly holds the most amount of power um, as after your researcher is just that one phone call, honestly. Thank you both. And, you know, we'd certainly touch upon a lot of advice um, with you both on this podcast. Um, lastly, you know, what final advice would you give to our listeners who are considering or currently in the process of looking for a research year or deciding, you know, even between offers to accept? Um, just talk to the current fellow, honestly. I think that honestly, is the best thing you can do. Um, no one is going to know that research position better than the current fellow. And then after that, the previous research fellows and so forth. But they will tell you the insides. They'll tell you the ups and downs. Um Honestly, like, I mean, I, I just met Olivia today and I know she'd be a great person to talk to about how HSS is, right? So there are a bunch of medical students out there that love, you know, mentoring and helping their classes below us or even above us and so forth, right? So being able to talk to, it's just a quick, you know, whether it's a quick email chain or getting on a quick Zoom call or a quick phone call and be like, hey, I know you don't know me. I'm really interested in your research fellowship. Can you just give me like a quick rundown of what your thoughts are? Do you think it's great? Do you think the mentorship is amazing? Um, and I think a lot of places will tell you, hey, there's nothing wrong about this place. And some places will tell you, hey, I wouldn't recommend, right? So that one, that quick phone call, five to 10 minutes can tell you so much about a program. So definitely reach out um, because those five to 10 minutes will save you a lifetime out of research and due diligence. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, only other thing that I would add is if, if you feel so inclined to take a research year, I would just say do it. You know, like orthopedic training is long. Residency is five years. Then you've got fellowship. You've already done medical school. Um, one more year is not that much time in the grand scheme of things to devote to this career that's going to be your lifelong career, especially for people who envision themselves practicing like well into their 60s and 70s. You know, it's really, it's, in my opinion, it's really worth it if it's something that you feel like you want to do. Plus you get to meet great people. Thank you so much, Olivia and Perry, for joining us today. You know, as always, it was a pleasure speaking with you.
And that wraps up another episode of our conversation series of the Bonehead Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. I'm Jody Beta. And I'm Patrick Neon. Until next time. Peace. Thank you.